Hi, welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I'm your host. This week, OMG, I had a, an incredible guest, Dr. Frances Richards. She is a speaker, author, coach, podcast host, recommend it. It's called The Black Entrepreneur Experience. You can search it out after you listen to this very important episode. (laughs) And we had a great conversation that was just so moving for me personally. And we had a long conversation about how can we elevate Black entrepreneurs all around the diaspora, not just on the continent, but all around the diaspora? How can we as a community build generational wealth? Why is it that historically we've seen a wealth gap between Black communities and other communities? And then what can we actually do to solve this as a people, a united people across the pond, building a bridge across Africa and her diaspora to see an upliftment of her people across the world? So I thoroughly recommend it. Enjoy and take care. Hi, Dr. Francis, and welcome to The Connected Generation. I'm so excited to have you today. Thank you, Nike, for inviting me. I am equally excited and I cannot wait to hear and for us to just share in reference to your podcast. Amazing. You're also a podcast host, so from one podcast host to another. Tell us more about who is Dr. Francis and how did you get to where you are today? Wow, that's a wonderful question. So a mom, a grandma, a wife, an author, a podcaster, a coach, a friend, an aunt, and just a person who is so excited about elevating entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And so the journey really started in academia and so had spent 15 years there. And then in around 2014 was bit by the internet marketing bug. And so started on this journey of figuring out how people are doing what they do and just really fell in love with podcasting and internet, just the whole technology and internet. I just really, really think that it's revolutionized the industries and Mm. society. Completely, completely agree. And so you've got your podcast, The Black Entrepreneur's Experience. What do you discuss on that and why? So we started the podcast in 2017 and it was out of the narrative around Black entrepreneurs and Blackness. And so wanted to share the real story, the real journey around the lives and the inside story around Black entrepreneurs. And Mm -hmm. so I started out on this quest to really hear their stories. So the platform is really about elevating Black entrepreneurs across the Black diasporas. Mm -hmm. And then in 2019, what I did is I did a shift, a minor pivot. And so the whole mission of the podcast is really to mitigate the wealth gap Mm -hmm. in urban communities. And so I started thinking around how can we really mitigate the wealth gap? Most individuals know the statistic 
that if and when an African-American, and I don't want to speak across the Black diasporas, but I'm going to speak specifically about African-Americans in the United States, if and when they start a business, if they make $50,000, our counterpartners, a Caucasian woman will make a hundred and sixty-two thousand, and a Caucasian male will make two hundred and sixty-two thousand. Those are rough figures, but you can definitely see that there's a wealth gap, and we have so many gaps in our community. And it's not about talking; it's not a, talking about gloom or doom. It's mm-hmm. just talking about what's really happening. So mm-hmm. in 2019, I started or added a segment once a month. It's called the Innovative Thinkers episode. So I also opened the platform up for CEOs, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs from other nationalities and cultures because we can learn from everyone. Mm -hmm. And so with the premise of how do we elevate, how do we build generational wealth, Mm -hmm. how do we move the needle forward, how do Mm -hmm. we support one another? That's incredible. I have so, so many questions. And just before we move to the future and how can we move forward and how can we build true sustainable wealth? I think it's important to understand where we've come from and why we're seeing certain things the way they're playing out to be. So speaking to that wealth gap that you cited, the gap between Black entrepreneurs and white entrepreneurs, white female, white male, but just speaking specifically to the racial wealth gap, In your opinion, why are we seeing that? Why is there such a drastic difference between how much a Black entrepreneur is likely to earn compared to a white entrepreneur? That's a really interesting question, and it's a deep dive. So what's happening, I think it's so many different issues. And if we try to peel back the onion to figure out what's really happening, I think that it's social capital, access to capital. And it's also, I believe it's a situation where there's so many us coming to the table. So when an African-American is starting a business or a counterpartner, they can go to their family and friends to raise money Mm. or they can go to a venture capitalist. It's about one or 2% or less of African-Americans able to get VC funding. So Let's say that they are able to get VC funding or they are able to come to the table. Are they prepared? Do they know how to present? Do they know how to pitch? Do they know the game of VC funding? So there's a lot of interesting Mm -hmm. dynamics. I want to point out that what's happening right now as we're recording this podcast is Goldman Sachs has decided to invest in Black women. And they've earmarked $10 billion over 10 years to help or to invest. I don't want to use the word help, invest in Black women. So what's happening is they're bringing Black women to the table and asking them, what's the problem? How can we help? but not just what are the problems, what are the solutions? And so I joined the conversations and they're doing it virtually, of course, and they're inviting many Black women to the table. 
they want to hear many voices. And I bring that up to say the conversation has been around to answer your question from a broad perspective. What is the masses saying? And so the conversation stems around, we talk about gaps in building generational wealth around health and capital, access to capital. And they even take it to prenatal or maternal when they're going through the birthing process, home ownership, lack of ownership. African-American women are known to have the highest level of education, but the lowest paying jobs. Interesting. So there's a lot of different issues that they are bringing to the table that they're saying, and then they come out with a lot of debt. And so if you have a lot of debt, you're not able to get into building generational wealth, which you build generational wealth through land or getting into the stock market. So it sounds like it's all very interrelated to the social capital piece and the financial capital piece all culminates to what we're seeing, really. Part of it is access to networks of information and knowledge and funding, and part of it is actually hard capital to start their businesses. And so with the initiative you mentioned with Goldman Sachs backing African-American women, Do you think that initiatives like these will make an impact on narrowing this wealth gap? And if not, what else is missing? I'm very hopeful. I think that that it's very commendable. And what I'm hoping that comes from it is collaboration. And what I'm seeing is I'm hoping that it's not just funds dispersed to different organizations Mm -hmm. and it doesn't impact a wider range. Mm. So what I mean by that, they have brought to the table a lot of women from HBCUs and totally support historically Black universities. Mm -hmm. And so that's wonderful. Let's say if you put a billion dollars into HBCUs, Okay. And so you're saying, because they're saying the challenge is healthcare. Well, that's great that you give maybe a hundred or a thousand individuals free medical degrees. How is that going to impact or is it going to further impact a wider range if you did a thousand versus, and I don't know what the solution is, but I'm hoping that the impact can, when we're looking at these strategic collaborations, mm-hmm. how can we turn that 10 billion into 100 billion mm-hmm. or 15 billion? How can we multiply instead of having one offs? Like what I saw happening within like the Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of money was filtered in AACP, the Urban League, and other organizations. Mm-hmm. The greater impact. What is the greater impact? How can it be a wider reach instead of a few? And then it's a broad brush that we helped the Black community. But when it's all said and done, nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really powerful. And just 
you mentioned that a lot of your work is not just about the rise of entrepreneurship and wealth of African-Americans, but also including the diaspora. Can you speak a little bit to that? And from your experience, are there any distinctions and patterns that you've seen between African-Americans and those in the diaspora? Then yeah, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about once you... (laughs) You know, it's really interesting because I've had the opportunity to interview from the Black diaspora, all over, from Africa to Israel, just a broad range of African-Americans and Blacks that have actually relocated. And then some are native to that, to the land. And so what I've seen, and it's really interesting because I found, and they've started an African Chamber of Commerce. They're starting to push out an African Chamber of Commerce. Mm. And what they have found, and these are African descendants or first-generation Africans that are living in the States. Mm -hmm. And so they're starting their own chamber. And they found the wealth amongst the Africans living in the United States is higher than African-Americans or Blacks in the U.S. So I would say that that I've definitely seen a difference in terms of success. And so from the UK or Mm -hmm. um, Africa, and when I've interviewed the African-Americans, and I'm talking about specifically from the diasporas, I've seen that the income, the apparent income, and I want to say that because I have not verified the income, so I want to be very transparent, but Mm -hmm. it's an appearance that it is a greater transfer of wealth. When you say transfer of wealth, you mean from one generation to the next, or you mean? Well, some of them is generational wealth, Mm -hmm. and and some of them. And I'm not saying that there are no African-American businesses, because I've definitely interviewed the transfer of wealth and the family businesses. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying what I've seen on a whole, Mm -hmm. that when we talk about from the diasporas versus the African-Americans that are built, it seems like it's a higher income rate or a higher success rate in terms of economics and being profitability, being profitable and mm-hmm. sustainable businesses. That's interesting. I want to speak a little bit to the family construct as well. And there's been a lot of conversation on African-American family, the incarceration of Black males the supposed breakdown of the home. Does this have an impact on this generational wealth transfer? Does this have an impact on this conversation on the wealth gap, the racial wealth gap? Oh, absolutely. I believe whenever you break down the family, when there's a separation of the family, it's going to impact because when the head is removed, the body cannot function. And one of the things I was going to say, what's interesting in the United States is how they build their prisons. They call it a pipeline to prisons. Agreed. So it's Sorry, actually, who calls it that? It sounds crazy. I mean, you can just Google, that's what they call it. Literally a pipeline to the prisons. And oh. what they do is if your child is unable to read, Mm -hmm. by the third grade, 
that's how they decide the prisons they build. No, sorry, explain that. So someone's doing a feasibility study on prisons and deciding the location of prisons based on education. So education and prisons. So that's what they talk about, literally breaking that pipeline to prisons. That's really, wow. So you were saying cut off the head and that has a huge impact on not just the family, but the society, really. Right. So where do we go from here? I think that it's conversation, but it's beyond conversation. I believe it's conversation and collaboration. Mm -hmm. And it's about execution and taking action. Mm -hmm. And we cannot put our future or Mm -hmm. the stake of our families at the hand of someone else. Like we have to take responsibility and we have to take action. So what Goldman Sachs is doing, what corporations are doing, all of that is, it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And we definitely want to collaborate, come to the table and take advantage of, and I don't want to say, or seize the opportunity. But in the same token, when it's all said and done, it's what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. How are we going to come together? How are we going to unify? Mm-hmm. And is it a community at a time, a state at a time, a country at a time, a village at a time? How do we come together and uplift us as a race. And it's not to say that we have to be exclusive. We can Mm -hmm. be inclusive and others that believe in what we are trying to accomplish, Mm -hmm. absolutely join the conversation and the collaboration. But at the end of the day, how can we uplift each other? I'm so glad you brought that up because that was my next question together as a community. So for instance, what can those of the diaspora do to help the upliftment of the African-Americans? And my kind of linked question to that is, you mentioned collaborations a number of times that critical to seeing this reversal of the wealth gap is going to be through collaborations. Can you also speak to that a little bit? And I think that I've seen over the years some coming together of the two nations, like there are different organizations and groups that are taking trips back and forth to Africa and seeing how we can work together in terms of what can we do to collaborate? What can we do to unify? What can we do to build, Mm. expand? So I think that that's where it starts is us seeing How can we, whether it's import, export, what can we do to say, let's come together and build? You also mentioned the African Chamber of Commerce. What are their activities? What's their mission? And is it something that family businesses on the African continent can get involved in in any shape or form? I believe that they definitely can. And the information that I have, what I read is they were just getting started. So I don't know with the pandemic where they're at, but the information that, and and a gentleman that I know here in the States, he's doing a lot of that in terms of, he brings a lot of speakers from Africa Mm -hmm. to the States and vice versa. So he is collaborating from that regard. 
and he's doing import and exporting. Mm -hmm. So I think that his concept is really good. And I think that his is separate from the chamber, but I'm seeing that same concept throughout the African Chamber of Commerce. Amazing. I want to talk a little bit about Black capitalism and this concept of supporting each other. I think it was kind of highlighted last year during Black Lives Matter, this racial wealth gap that you're alluding to and how we can do more to support one another, um, patronize one another. I had a conversation with a friend um, the other day and she was saying that um, what she's saying is there's a lot of conversation about supporting entrepreneurs or investing in entrepreneurs that plow back into Black communities um, to ensure that the dollar essentially stays within the community and we build wealth that way. What are your thoughts on that? I think one of the things that I've seen over the years, and it's really interesting because I went back to my hometown of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I didn't realize that the history around there so many African-Americans built businesses many years ago. Some of them still have the businesses 50, 60 years ago. Although that city was considered like it is considered a very racist city. And I mentioned that to say, I'm seeing what's happening in other cities. So you have Chinatown, even the Hispanics have come mm-hmm. in in various cities, and they've taken over towns. And I don't see that happening in cities across the United States. And when we think about Black Wall Street, the story, Mm -hmm. when that was the concept and they were burnt down and all of the businesses that were demolished and that concept, we need Black Wall Street's throughout the United States of America. So when you're talking about transferring wealth, not just transferring wealth, when we're talking about generational wealth, but we're also saying circulate the dollar in our community because the fact that we don't have these Black Wall Streets, you don't have that ability to really circulate the dollar. And so when I think about when I was growing up and that little store is still in my neighborhood. And so 30, 40 years later, we definitely circulated in that community. We definitely turned, we used that money. We would spend at that store, but we would spend at other stores, but Mm -hmm. we definitely put money into the community. So it was, I think back in the day when I was growing up, it was more circulation dollars. Now we can still do that, And we can do it in terms of internet businesses, supporting, circulating that dollar, supporting internet businesses, supporting Black-owned businesses. Even though we are not building Black Wall Streets like we did or like it was back in the day. And I still think that that concept, I still think that we need to have communities within communities where people are buying homes. I think about This is a reality show, Love and Marriage, Huntsville. And when I see that they are building communities, and I'm not saying that it's not happening, but that whole concept is what we need to do, is buy land, build houses, and 
within communities and continue to do that throughout the United States. That's powerful. And what I was thinking about also is we need to form stronger bridges between the diaspora and the United States. And for those business owners on the continent, there's a compelling reason to forge stronger collaborations and relationships with African-Americans. It poses a great expansion opportunity in business and also investment opportunities on the ground in the U.S. And the same holds the other way around. Africa is the new frontier. It's hot at the moment. Everyone wants to be in Africa and sees that there are lots of business opportunities, lots of investment opportunities. And with Ghana's the year of the return, you see just how much interest there is from people all over the diaspora to just touch base with Africa and come for tourism or there have been several people that I know that have relocated from the United States to Ghana and they are African-Americans. So I think if we support our communities better, we can see more effective investments. We can actually provide an opportunity for the business owners to expand across the pond. Absolutely. And that's what we need to do. That's what we need to do. And I'm going to kind of switch and just say, what do you see us doing even more so? If someone's listening and say, how can we take action today? Oh, where do we start? <laughs> Conversations, number one. So networking opportunities where we can come together and share knowledge, share investments. You spoke about a breakdown of social capital. I really believe that that is one of the key reasons why the Black community globally has been left behind wealth-wise and left behind in business is that we on the continent might be different dynamics than in the United States, but it's because we have not prioritized social capital. So that's one. We're actually toying with the idea of in African family firms of setting up chapters in the diaspora. So having chapters in the United States, in the UK, in Europe for diaspora and communities that want to learn the tools how to build wealth and build generational wealth. And through that, we can see a coming together of Africans, African-Americans and whomever. So we can share investment opportunities, we can share business opportunities and we can help each other grow. Beyond that, also, we're toying with the idea of a fund. When you look at Africa and her patterns, is we see that remittances are the greatest source of foreign direct investment on the continent, more than aid. So there's a lot of capital that's coming from those in the diaspora, sending to their families, support their family, but also to invest on the continent. And quite often they do this in very informal means. On the flip side, the continent, we're going to see a doubling of our population by 2050. One in four on the planet will be African. Median age is currently 18 and it will obviously go down as we have this population explosion. That's the only way to put it. It's actually an explosion. Yet today we have significant deficits in terms of infrastructure, agriculture, housing, power, what have you. So from an entrepreneur's perspective, these deficits are business opportunities. So Africa will need significant capital to accelerate her development. Her governments are unlikely to have the financial resources to finance these developments. Private sector will have to come to the table. 
and really should come to the table because there'll be great returns financially and socially to do so. And we can mobilize the capital from the diaspora, as well as not just the financial capital, but back to the social capital, the intellectual capital off the continent to come onto the continent to propel her development. So there was a study by African Development Bank looking at the impact of migration and what impact does it have on the continent's economy. And I remember when I was in school, in year nine, in geography, we were talking about brain drain, talking about analyzing the economic impacts of migration, mass migration from countries. And there was a a talk about brain drain. What happens is you lose your best, your intellectually, with your best doctors, your best lawyers, they go to greener pastures, they all want to get a green card or UK, Australia, and what have you, and you lose your best. And this study, I fail to remember when it was done, it it can't be more than four years old, basically said that that analysis is quite myopic. Because what happens is when you lose your best, they send their dollars back to their families on the continent. They invest in projects on the continent. And that source of dollars is critical to the continent's economic growth and source of foreign exchange. It's the largest source of foreign exchange we have currently on the continent. And that's actually the more educated your best are when they leave the greater the economic gain it is to the continent because of the financial transfers as well as the knowledge transfers. It's unlikely that Nikkei moving to, I don't know, London will cut off all ties with Africa. She's likely to have some philanthropic activity. She's likely to take on someone under her wing. She's likely to start off some kind of a business. She's likely to pass on all the knowledge and expertise that she has to people back home. And in this knowledge economy, that is the way to propel growth. So I think there's a lot we can do, but you can see that there's an academic aspect to this. There's a a social aspect to this. There's a financial aspect to this. And we need a coming together, multidisciplinary think tanks. We need networking communities. We need investment opportunities. We need business communities. And I love what you said about the family piece. I think we need to address that. We need to get back to that. So we've seen a breakdown and an erosion of the home for a generation. So now what can we do as communities, as Africans, wherever we are, we're community-based people, we're communal people. So what can we do to ensure the upliftment of the family institution? That's good. Amazing. So if anyone wants to get in touch with you, Dr. Francis, how best can they reach you? So the best way to connect with me is drfrancisrichards.com. And you can always connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and also through Black Entrepreneur Experience Podcast or through bpodcast.com. Okay, so you have two podcasts? No, 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 no. It's called Black Entrepreneur experience, but let's say they don't remember Black Entrepreneur Experience. You could just type in B podcast, B-E-E podcast.com. Definitely recommend your podcast as fast. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Francis. I'm really grateful. Yes, it was an honor. Thank you so much. Oof.
that was just so, so, so an amazing conversation and was so nuanced with so many layers. It seems it can be quite overwhelming when one thinks of all that needs to be done to ensure the upliftment of Black wealth. But I really believe all these factors and indicators are highly intricately linked to one another. And I think it points to the importance of you building wealth today. It frees your future generations from poverty, whether it's relative or absolute poverty. In Africa, we see it in terms of absolute poverty. But in the US, it may look like relative poverty. Poverty is not nice, whichever one, right? And this notion of your ceiling for your generation is the floor of the next. All your hard work, the legacy that you're leaving them is so that they can stand on the shoulder of giants and build on top of that. When she mentioned having Black Wall Street in the United States to see the communities growing economically and being empowered. I held on to that in my heart because I really believe that that also is the way to empower the continent of Africa. On the surface of it, to someone that's an African-American, they may be like, why? You are all Africans. (laughs) Why do you need a Black Wall Street? Why do you need an African Wall Street? We do because we're highly dependent, whether it's import-wise, in terms of developing our economies, or whether it's when you critically look at our economies, a lot of the countries are dependent on international conglomerates. They are the movers and shakers of most economies on the continent. So how can we think of building ecosystems, sustainable wealth within our African communities to see the upliftment of the African economy and continent? I think the AFCTA might just be the key to that. And the key to seeing that for the first time ever, we'll look to our neighbors and want to trade with our neighbors. You know, sometimes I get quite frustrated with the state of how things are on the continent, but then I realize that I'm not giving the continent grace. It was never designed by the colonialists that Africa will be self-sufficient, that Africa will be prosperous. The whole colonialism was an economic extraction activity, if that's even a word, right? It was designed to take resources from Africa to enrich the West. And so trade routes, infrastructure, community clubs, networks were never designed to see that Africa trades with herself. Essentially, what I'm saying is Rome is not built in a day. We can start now. Now that we've got the building blocks of the AFCTA to see that we see more intra-African trade, intra-African investment, perhaps we might see a new dawn. Thank you so much for tuning in. Take good care and God bless you.